Hello and welcome to the Rosie Posey podcast, the official podcast of Bonnerig Rose Athletic Football Club. I'm Sean McGill, joining me as always is Amy Canavan and we're also joined by one of Bonnerig's favourite sons, Gary Lock. Gary, how are you doing? Thanks very much for joining us. I'm fine guys, how are you getting on? You're alright? Oh, no football, but <laughs> we're trying our best. We're trying our Good. best. Brilliant. How's this year been for you? It's obviously been I've been tough for, for everyone really. Yeah, I think I'm just in the same boat as everybody, you know, we're all um have our good days and our bad days, I suppose. Uh, I'm quite fortunate because I can still go to, to all the Hearts games and that. So that that makes a big, big difference. But uh, you know, if I didn't have my football at the weekends, I think it would be a, a major struggle. Uh, and then obviously the Bonnerig season getting cut short as well. You know, I'd been lucky enough to to get into a couple of the games as well. So missing that, I'm sure sure you guys are missing watching Bonnerig every week as well. Well, you're Bonnerig born and bred, Gary. So tell us about growing up. Uh, what what are your memories of growing up in Bonnerig? What was life like? Yeah, it was tough. Completely different place to what it is now. You know, you see, just laced with new houses and new new estates and all that. Now I was. I was kind of brought up in Bonnerig when it was a lot smaller and uh, you kind of knew, you knew everybody in, in the town at that time. Uh, I got brought up in a, a sort of the council estate, Eldon Dean Terrace, just up for last week primary school. So that's where I spent all my youth. Um, and then when it came to start playing football, uh, it's brilliant now because Bonnerig grows, you know, everybody's under the same umbrella and they kind of go for like under sixes, under fives, all the way up to the first team. It was different when I was younger, you know, you had the uh, Sherwood Boys Club who were based in Bonnerig, but when I, my dad took me along there at six, basically told me that uh, I was too young. So I ended up actually starting my football career with a team called Panda Youth Club in Mayfield. Uh, and they, they didn't exist now, but my dad's mate took the team, so I went over there. And then the way it worked out, when I got to like under, under nines, under tens, uh, obviously, I had, we had quite a good school team at last week, so because I played in Mayfield, all my wee pals for Bonnerig all came and played for Panda as well. And sure enough, we played Sherwood in all the cup finals and used to beat them all the time. So it was Frank, I think Frank Watson, who was manager of Sherwood at the time. He used to crack up because they could never win anything. And it was all young boys for Bonnerig that kept beating the Bonnerig team in the finals and that. So I went through there. And then I went into Hutchie Vale in Edinburgh under under 10s. And that's where I spent all my, all my youth playing through under 10s to 16 with Hutchie Vale. And then I signed a full-time contract in my last year at school with Hearts. Um, and then I went straight through last week high school and into Hearts at 16 and never really went back, to be fair. What's the reaction like in, in Boyerick when you, you sign a contract for Hearts, obviously? We know it's a big sort of hearts area. It must have been pretty amazing. Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, I went on the, the local supporters bus. It's still going, actually. And, you know, obviously, Bonnerig's always been a big hearts area. Uh, even now, you know, there's still a lot of hearts fans living in the area. So it was great. You know, I think, uh, for me anyway, I always like to see people in Bonnerig being successful. You know, I think it's quite a close-knit town. Obviously, it's a wee bit different now because it's so big. But, um, you know, when I was younger, you always liked to see uh, people in the area doing well. And, it, you know, it was especially pleasing for me, even though I still played, when, like, Stephen Whitaker played for Hibs. Uh, you know, I know Stephen and his family really well. 
Um, so, you know, things like that were great to see, you know, a lot of the local lads coming through and doing well, because it is, it is difficult, you know, it's no, it's no easy to become a professional footballer. Um, but when you see people from Bonner, they're even in business and that as well, doing well for themselves, you know, it's something that I, you know, I'm quite passionate about. I like to see people from my own area doing well for themselves. And you know, that's why I've got so many friends and obviously family and that, that all stay in Bonnerig. And, you know, that's why every opportunity I get, I try and watch Bonnerig as much as I can as well. Especially when your twin brother over here was a better player. Heard that a few Listen. times. I hear that every time, I've heard that for years, you know, there's always like a brother or a best pal and now I was better than him. I can assure you my twin brother wasn't a better player than me. No chance. Kevin might tell you that when he's had a couple of beers down <laughs> that, I can assure you. I used to play against Kevin all the time, used to beat them about 8 or 9 nil all the time. So for him to say he was a better player than me, he's kidding himself. Well, you're the one that got the sign that hearts. We've just been saying, just before we came on air, that obviously it is a massive summer for Scotland. And one of Scotland's best sons, Joe Jordan, was your first manager at Hearts. Hey, that's no bad. Aye, it was brilliant. Um, you know, that was probably the first time um, when I kind of learned about, you know, Scotland always had a culture, especially when I was younger, like players, they played and then they went for a beer and, you know, they ate like, you know, fry-ups for their breakfast and all that type of stuff. And Joe was probably the first thing I because he had played in Italy he brought a lot of the traits that he learned in Italy back to Scotland so he was huge on fitness and eating healthily you know having a sleep in the afternoon living properly all that type of stuff um, so that was kind of my first sign of getting my eyes opened about you know diet and fitness and all that type of stuff uh, and I really really enjoyed you know the training under Joe unfortunately he was only there for the, the season when I was on the ground staff at Hearts and then Sandy Clark took over, so it was it was sort of a difficult period, but in a way it was great for us because when Sandy took over the club, he'd obviously been our youth coach at heart, so he was the he was the manager that gave gave him a full debut, and you know myself, Alan Johnston, Paul Ritchie, Kevin Thomas, Alan McManus, you know we all came through the youths. Grant Murray was another one went straight into the to the first team, so luckily you know when Sandy got the job, we all got a chance. And obviously, we've just touched upon that you were a, a massive Hearts fan growing up. Home and away, you've said that a few times. Then, what year did you get made captain? You were 20, weren't you? I was only 20, yeah, I think. 20, uh, at the time, probably, probably didn't realise how big a, an achievement that was. You know, I was just a young lad, just young, sort of daft boy from Bonnerig. But I think, you know, when you get a wee bit older, a bit wiser, and you kind of look back at your career, you think, you know, that's a great achievement to to become one of Hearts' youngest ever captains. So, um, you know, I took, took over to immense pride in that with the fact that I was a huge Hearts fan. But um, when I look at look back and I'm captaining, you know, players that basically I idolised as a kid, you know, I had photographs of Robbo, Gary Mackay, Dave McPherson, all these boys, you know, up on, up on my, my bedroom wall. So it was great to be the captain of these boys and to play alongside them as well, you know, it was, it was fantastic. Uh, what was that dynamic like, Gary, when you're, when you're the captain, like you said, of the, the heroes, the folk you had on your walls? Like, could you shout at them? Could you tell them what to do? Or was it more yeah. sort of like... Uh... To be honest with you, I was always like that for a young kid. You know, I was always like quite a chirpy guy on the pitch. I always liked to sort of talk and try and organise things. I think that was probably one of the reasons why I was kind of captain at all the teams that I played for as a kid. Um, and then I kind of just took that into my professional career. Obviously, when you go in at 16... 
you're a wee bit sort of nervous and you didn't really say too much when you first go in the door because you would get absolutely crucified at May days. Um, but once I got in and around the first team players, you know, it was, it was one of them. It was like, that was my ambition in life was to play with Harps. And, you know, if I got the opportunity, I wanted to give it my best shot. And you know, it would be nothing worse if you know, I went into Harps and then got to train with the first team and didn't quite show up that well and have regrets. So I just went into the first team environment and kind of just been how I always was, you know, I was always a talker on the pitch, you know, I always liked to try and organise stuff or that type of stuff, so I took that into the first team level and luckily it got me in the first team and then I managed to make myself, you know, a regular in the team and then after that, you know, I kind of didn't look back. Aye, so obviously one of the biggest moments, biggest moments first in your career was obviously the 1996 uh, final. Wasn't it the best moment, was it? No, but you're right. It was probably the biggest, the biggest achievement in my career up to then. Uh, you know, being the youngest ever captain of Hearts for Cup final, it was a, you know, I had a really good season that season, and just kind of what, what football does to people. Kind it's got a habit of kicking you when you're, you're at your best, kind of thing. And uh, we got to the final, absolutely great experience, and I probably lasted about ten minutes if you're lucky. Uh, and then I did my anterior cruciate in the final. And it probably, looking back at it, I've said it many times now, yeah, I probably got myself too hyped up for the game. You know, because you're a captain, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to be the youngest captain to lift the cup. Playing against Rangers, who were a brilliant team at the time, didn't get me wrong, had some world-class players, but we genuinely felt we could go and, go and win that. Um, and then, as I say, 10 minutes into the game, the whole kind of world just came crumbling down on top of me. Uh, I think it was Paul Gascoigne had the ball and he went to turn and I just tried to change direction to tackle him and I just felt a horrible like, crunch in my knee. And I got back up and I played for about another two, three minutes and then the ball went over my head and then I, I just knew that my cup final was over. So as much as it was a fantastic season, that season it ended like terribly for me because I missed the cup. No, I genuinely missed most of the cup final because I got injured and then... I was with Scotland under-21s. We were in the semi-final of the European Championships um, against Spain, and I missed that as well, so it was a, a disaster. See, when you talk about getting yourself too hyped up, do you think having, like, a... Knowing that you're from Boyerick, which is such a heart-staff place, do you think, like, that some that contribute to that at all? That like, you know you got back to sort of area that's mad, or is it just... I without a doubt, I think... Obviously, there was about maybe eight or nine buses. Uh, you know, I had played a big hand in getting everybody a ticket for the game. And then everywhere you went and the build up to the game, you know, everybody was stopping you in the street, wishing you all the best and you know, talking about what it'd be like if we win it, all that type of stuff. So I think it was... Uh... And then other Hearts fans as well, you know, they would send you a lot of good messages and, and good luck wishing you all the best. So I think it was probably the whole weight of the whole thing. I kind of took it all upon my shoulders and thought, and, you know, obviously, you're not going to win a cup on your own. It's, it's, it takes your teammates in that to turn up on the day as well. But I think that was a problem. I just got too, was kind of wired to the moon, you know, in the warm-up and that. See all your friends and family in the stand and you think, oh, what a day this is going to be. And, see, I probably just got myself too, too over, overly emotional on the game. Um, and started the game, you know, running a bit like a madman. And then it's probably cost us... Uh, a year, a year and a half in my career. 
like say a year and a half then so obviously two years later I hate I hate that like oh he gets revenge and that I'm not a fan of that but I guess that's sort of what happened in 98. Yeah well it was the same you know I played I think I played the majority of the games as well and uh, we got to the semi-final we, we, I played in the quarter-final and we beat Air United 4-1 and then it was a league game I think against Kilmarnock about two weeks later and I knew the semi-final was coming um, and again, it was one of them. I just I, I went for a ball that I probably shouldn't have, but I kind of done that most of my career because you're, you know, being a heart supporter and that you probably go into tackles, and you know some of the tackles I went in for I probably should never have went in for them, but it was just the way I played. Uh, and it, when I went in, I sure enough I did my knee again, so it meant that you know I missed I missed that cup final, so that was a disaster. But the good thing about that was I managed to uh, you know get up to lift the cup because I was the, the club captain at the time. It was a great aye, the original John Terry. Correct, aye. Well, Tam <laughs> Cowan actually slaughters me for that, to be fair. He says, I you stole the cup before John Terry did it. So I was uh, I was delighted as a hard supporter, first and foremost, that I got to lift the cup. But I thought it was a good, great gesture for like Stevie Fulton and the rest of the piece. Asked me aye. to go and lift it because I think they knew what it meant. Like, as we've tried to say, we're obviously trying to appease to the whole of Bonner again, not just the massive hearts fallen. I think one of the best things about, obviously, like you say, that, that 98 side, because um, you're talking about the whole, whole in Midlothian sort of thing and, and, and Bonner again in particular, obviously, Gary Naismith was there and Jim Jeffries just Musselburgh as well. So it was a very, it, it was, we're talking about like that pressure for the community. Like, they guys would have felt it as well. Without a doubt, I mean, they were uh, local lads. You know, David Murray was actually in that squad as well. He was a lone head lad. Yeah. Um, and Grant Murray was Mayfield. So you had a lot of Midlothian boys uh, in the team. And obviously the management team were both the Wallyford originally. So it was, um, you know, it was brilliant that so many local people were involved in it. And it just shows that if you, you know, stick in and, and live your life right and that, there's opportunities out there for, for people in this area. Um, so it was great. And it was brilliant. You know, I kind of grew up. Uh, you know, through the period uh, I spent most of my career with, with Jim and Billy, who were brilliant, a brilliant management team. And, you know, as I said, it was great to see local lads like David Murray, Gary Naismith, we had Gary O'Connor for Newton Grange as well, uh, and then obviously Grant Murray. So we all kind of did all right in our careers, uh, and it was, you know, for me, it's great to see. That's good. Do you think football's lacking that at all now, Gary, that sort of sense of, of, of local lads sort of playing for the team that they grew up supporting? Do you think? That's something yeah, that's, I think that's we're missing from I don't know why, because you know, at the end of the day, there's still a lot of fantastic young footballers come from Bonnerig, Newton Grange, mm-hmm. Mayfield, Dal Keith. Um, but you didn't see as many of them for me, you know, going into the, the first team environment now. And I wish I could put my finger on why that is. I, I don't know. Um, but you know, it would be, I, I think, you know, certain clubs have maybe lost their identity a wee bit. Um, and I would love, you know, as a heart supporter. Uh, I would love to see a young Bonnerig kid, you know, coming through Bonnerig Rose, going into Hearts and making the, the first team at Hearts because I think it, it it makes you sort of back them that wee bit extra as well because you maybe know them or you know their mum and dad or you maybe know their uncle or something like that. Um, so it would be great because um, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of cracking footballers out there. It's just a case of obviously trying to get them signed up for Hearts, Hibs, whatever. But I think... One of the main issues, I think, are we're now competing with a lot of big English clubs, all that type of stuff. You know, that didn't seem as prevalent when I was a young kid. You know, most of the boys for this area would sign for Hearts or Hibs. 
Whereas now I think it's different, you know, money's a big, big factor now, you know, the bigger clubs seem to it baffles me, but you see them offering fifteen year old kids like crazy money. And you know, for clubs like ourselves it's difficult to compete with that. Just quickly, do you think that's like one of the issues then obviously like that um big clubs and I mean in like obviously England but then Celtic Rangers as well, they're coming in too quickly and grabbing them of the academy and they're joint they're signing for Celtic at eight, nine, ten years old and they're not coming through like the Bonnerig Roses and and stars and all that and it's no keeping it local no keeping it grounded as much. Without a doubt, I think that's the biggest the biggest issue that obviously young kids face now. It's like you know, I get the impression a lot of the time that it's like, oh, you're eight, nine year old, oh, he's signed for Hearts, he's signed for Rangers, he's signed for Celtic and the parents. Uh, I think play a big, big part in that. You know, they're going to the pub and tell all their friends and family that play with Hearts. And it doesn't seem to be as you know, as popular to go in and say, Oh, my wee kid plays with Bonner Rose. But for me, you know, if you were to ask me, you know, what the best days of my life playing football were when I played with all my mates at school. You know, I played in the school team, I played with Hutchie Vale, I played with Hearts, you know, at the weekends. There were some weekends I was maybe playing three games and it certainly never done me any harm. Whereas now, you know, I hear a lot, oh, I played on Saturday, can't play a game till Wednesday and all that. And then you'll see players who maybe travel from Bonnerig all the way up to, say, Aberdeen and play for Hibs or Hearts and maybe play for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. So for me, you're like, well, is that going to make a young player better playing for 20, 30 minutes? Or would they be no be better playing with Bonnerig and playing, you know, all the time, playing more regularly? Because for me, you learn a lot more when you're playing. You can train all you like, but when you play games, that's where you learn. And... You know, I think that's something that we need to look at is the amount of minutes that a young kid plays. I and mean, even at the moment, I mean, COVID has been an absolute disaster for everybody. But for a young up-and-coming footballer, you know, I've got a, a wee nephew there and some of his friends have not played a game of football for about four months, five months. And, you know, that's going to affect them longer term. When you're talking about like kids and youth systems and stuff like that, I mean yourself, you spent time at sort of Celtic Rangers down at Man United for like summers yep. and stuff like that as well. And but then you can imagine nowadays that people would just immediately jump to those sorts of clubs instead of just going for their boyhood club or their local club or something like that. Yeah, but you know the thing with that is like when I was young, basically it was a S form you could sign. So if you signed an S form, then you then had to play with that club and that was you. But you know, didn't get me wrong, you know, I argued with my mum and dad when I was about 11 year old because Hearts offered me an S form and I wanted to sign for Hearts. But my dad was of the opinion, hey, look, you're playing with Hutchie Vale every week. If you sign with Hearts, you'll not get the experience of, you know, going down to Manchester United. I used to go to Middlesbrough. I went and seen what Celtic Rangers and all that was like. He says, you know, he had quite a, a good outlook to it, my, my dad, to be fair, and he was like, if you're still good enough at 15, 16, Hearts will want to sign you anyway. So it was great. I mean, I went down to Man United. You know, I spent every summer, every every Easter holiday, the Christmas holidays, and played against, you know, Beckham, Neville, Scholes, Nicky Butt, all they boys. And you know, it certainly brought me on, you know, it was different training. You got to learn uh, loads of different uh, training routines, all that type of stuff, and it made me a better player. And then when I came back, it also gave me a wee experience of living away from home as a young lad. And, you know, I like my mum's home cooking, so it wasn't for me, you know what I mean? I was, I, I just thought, if I'm going to be good enough to sign a professional contract, 
I'd rather start my career closer to closer to home. And that's what I did. But you know, it was a fantastic experience. And you know, that's the problem now, that kids are getting snapped up really early and it's difficult. I've seen, you know, teammates of mine at 16, 17, and when they get released, you know, they were in tears. It was it was horrible. You know, I remember a wee guy, Marvin Wilson, uh, who was on the ground staff at Harps, and uh, it was horrific, you know, the day that he got released, because he ended up a, a really good uh, mate of mine's and Alan Johnston's and that. But now that's happening with, like, 10, 11-year-old kids, 13-year-old kids. It must be so difficult for them, you know, to handle that, because... You know, when they're that age, it's it's difficult when you get told, oh, you know, we, we didn't really think you're good enough. So I, I, that's why I understand why we lose so many young kids to football now, because you get the knock that early in your career, they're obviously going to go and do other things. Absolutely, that's taking it on a bit of a wider uh, scheme. But obviously, they're saying, like, at the international level, we don't know how the foundations are all that are coming through. Do you reckon that does go right down to the grassroots, that, like, the enjoyment is getting taken out so early? I'm not so sure if the enjoyment's getting taken out. I just think the pressure, the pressure that young kids are under to be successful, you know what I mean? I think maybe it's a case of a lot of dads trying to live their dream through their kid. Um, and I think when you look at the top level in England now, you see the amount of money that players are making, you know, and it is, it's a massive amount of money. And that can be a big attraction to a, a parent, you know, if they push their kid hard enough they might go and earn that big money. But for me, I think you've got to put the kids' best interest at heart to start with. And I, I always feel that you're better playing. You know, if you're going to go into, you know, ourselves or Hibs and you're not going to play all the time, then I would say stay where you are. Uh, you know, if, if you're exceptional and the club wants you badly enough and you think, you know what, I'm good enough, I'll go in there and I'll play every week, then fair enough. But for me, you know, I'd certainly... Uh, say to people, you know, if you didn't think you're going to play all the time, then stay where you are because you need to play. Sort of touching on that then and moving on in your career, I guess that's sort of the reason that um, that you followed Jim Jeffries and went out to Bradford. It's sort of a, an area that's not really touched about in your career that much. Um, obviously, yeah. you were, I think you were playing out of position up at Hearts, weren't you? Well, I played, I played right back a lot for Hearts, but I was never Aye. a right back. I was always a central midfielder, so... Uh, you know, I used to play central midfield with Hearts every now and again, but uh, when I got the opportunity, uh, the, the opportunity for me to play in the English Premier League was a huge attraction. And because I'd had a couple of injuries at Hearts, you know, I was getting a wee bit stale. So I was probably right to move on, get a, a fresh challenge, play against different players, play against all the best players in the world. Uh, and I'd have been stupid to knock that back. And I loved it. You know, when I went down there, I got a, a new lease of life in my career and probably ended up playing as well as what I'd ever played. Um, and, you know, really enjoyed it down in England and, you know, played with some terrific players, played against some terrific players and, again, it made me a better player. Aye, so just touching on Bradford there, obviously, right, which world-class player sat you on your arse and where's your favourite <laughs> ground? Uh, to be fair, there was a few. Um, okay, it was brilliant. Didn't have to be world-class. <laughs> I know. Um, to be fair, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big Newcastle fan, eh, so we played the game. And at that time, they had a brilliant team. They had Shoyt Shearer, Gary Speed, Batty. I mean, honestly, great players. Um, so it was brilliant playing against them. We drew 2-2 with them, but um, just a great experience playing against them. And, and we had some decent players as well. Okay, we had like, boys like Stuart McCall, Benito Carbone, Ian Jess, uh, Lee Sharp. So we had a lot of good players ourselves. So 
Um, I went down there, Rod, what was it? When I signed for Bradford, they were actually at the bottom of the league at the time. So there's always got to be an uphill struggle to stay in the league. But even when we went to the Championship, you played against some massive teams, eh, like Derby County, Nottingham Forest, all these teams. So it was a great experience. And it was just unfortunate down there. They, they went into like, administration because they'd, they'd been paying players far, far too much money. Um, couldn't afford it. So uh, the administration kind of followed me about in my career a wee bit. But it was a brilliant experience. And playing against all these players, playing against like your Tottenham, Liverpool, Man United and that, was brilliant. Absolutely superb. Um, and even Leeds United at the time, they were in the they were in the Premier League, so they had like Verduka and Harry Kuehl, all boys like that. Brilliant experience. So I really enjoyed playing there. Actually, I really enjoyed playing at Ellen Road. It was a a brilliant atmosphere, and that was a bit of a derby Leeds against Bradford. So enjoyed playing there, White Hart Lane, all these types of places. So it was great. Really, really enjoyed it. Is there anywhere that sort of like obviously? I think we all know that Scotland has a better atmosphere than England, but is there anywhere that in particular comes like the closest to matching something you'd feel at Ibrox or Parkhead or even like Edinburgh Derby? Um, probably when I played for I played for Hearts against Atletico Madrid in the UEFA Cup. It was the atmosphere over there was scary. Mm. Like we had basically arrived, and I think they did it deliberately, but you arrived under a big dark tunnel. And then at that time, it was all the like Atletico Ultras were there to give you a nice welcome and that when you came off the bus. And then, like, they scored, they scored, we won 2 1 in the first leg and they beat us 3 0 in the second leg. But when they scored their first goal, I've never, I've never seen anything like this in my life. They were throwing everything on the pitch, there was flares, there was like golf balls, everything. Um, and they were all running up and down the terrace, and that was wild. And then we also played. Hungary with Scotland in the quarterfinals of the European European Championship, and their fans were crazy. Like when we got off the bus, they were throwing like bricks at us. <laughs> it was just mad. So it was quite intimidating. But you know, once the game started and that, you knew you always knew you were safe inside the stadium. Uh-huh. But sometimes when you were kind of walking off the team bus to go into these stadiums, it was a it was a wee bit scary to say the least. But as I say, I, I used to love that. I used to love when, like the Derby games and when you played Rangers and Celtic and all that. The atmosphere was great. And can when the game starts, can you forget there's anybody watching you? You just play. Yeah, but it was magic to play in front of sort of fifty, sixty thousand people. Yeah, you couldn't beat that. And I used to love that. How do you think you do in an empty stadium these days? Uh, I would have hated that. I did because you do like when you're in the tunnel. Obviously, I was quite fortunate that I was captain at most of the clubs I played for. So when you're standing at the front to lead the team out, you can hear the noise and you can hear the atmosphere. And that's what kind of, for me, that's what gets you going on a Saturday. So it must be horrendous at the minute um, for for the players when they're running out and there isn't anybody in the stadium and you can like, I go to the games. And as it's, it's, football's rubbish without supporters. You know, being a fan myself, you need fans at the game. Uh, but there will be I've played with a lot of players as well there's probably a lot of players that are sort of happier at the minute playing without fans because now especially you know fans are very very critical and if you make a bad pass you know and the fans are all on top of you it can be difficult sometimes um, and I think maybe it's one or two players I think the boy Tavernier at Rangers is he's for me I've been at Rangers a couple of times last season when he made a bad pass you know the fans were right on top of him see this season 
having the season of his life. And I think maybe the, the pressure of all the fans being there is just let him go and, you know, play without any fear. And I think you could see a big difference in his performances because of that. And then, Sean, get, get to your favourite bit. We're waiting for this. Sean finally gets to talk about his team. And then... I well, it's been said on this podcast before that I'm a Kelly fan, so... Um, oh, yeah. How did you end up uh, supporting them? Great well, question. Well, all my family Fantastic are from there, question. so... Fantastic question. Mum and Dad are both fickle manic grand- grandparents, everyone's right. a mad Kelly fan, so even though I've lived here my whole life, I still got forced into that, so... I would have had my, my season ticket around the time you were kicking about in the, in the dugout, oh, to be right. fair. Um, oh, you'd, probably, you'd have probably gave me stick like the rest and of the bank. That's why I got rid of it, aye. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, as a club that you, you speak about uh, highly, you've got a lot of affection yep. for the club, despite it maybe being some hard times while you were there. Yep. Without a doubt, I mean, as a, as a player, as a player, I loved it. You know, I was captain of Kelly for a few seasons and, you know, we had a really good side. You know, we were always we were always up the top end of the table, um, and that, I think that shows you how football's changed. Because I remember when I was there, first signed for Kilmarnock, and uh, the gaffer he signed Greg Shields for Charlton, signed Gordon Greer for Blackburn. Uh, we had Alan Combe came for Bradford City. You know, we were we were signing players for the English Championship at that time for Kilmarnock. I think that showed in how well we did. You know, obviously we had some cracking young players at that time with Chris Boyd, we had Stephen Naismith coming through, Paul De Giacomo was a cracking player. Um, and you also had the experienced lads like Gary Hay, you had Alan Mahood was there when I first went, uh, Andy McLaren. Uh, we had a brilliant team and it was a really, really enjoyable uh, time to be playing. And as I say, we, we were always up there challenging. And then it was... I, I, kind of stopped enjoying it a bit when I, I went back as a kind of not that I didn't enjoy it that's that's the wrong thing to say but I think you'll know yourself Michael Johnson was at the club and there was a lot of unrest with the fans with Michael and we found the same type of thing happening behind the scenes as well so it made it made being like the assistant manager there and then when I was manager it was I should have done better as manager, didn't get me wrong, you know, I've got to take somebody to blame myself, you know, I always do that, I always take responsibility, I could have done one or two things better, but at the same time, you know, it was very difficult to, to get players in and to get contracts signed in that when Michael was, was kind of in charge, um, so, you know, I'm not going to blame anybody else, uh, we should have done better, uh, but there was one or two other mitigating circumstances as to why things probably didn't go as well as what we should have done. Aye, I mean, Kelly fans weren't the best pleased at that period of time because of the stuff off the park, really. So I think that made, yep. I think a lot of fans knew that it could have been better on the park if it wasn't for... 100%. You know, I on. mean, I know that myself, you know, but at the time, you know, I brought Chris Boyd back to the club. I signed Callum Higginbottom, you know, so I signed players that I thought, you know what, they'll do, they'll do really. I signed Scott Robinson, who's flying at Livingston at the yeah. minute. But sometimes, you know, as a manager... Players just didn't fit the fit the club, you know. Like if Scott Robinson had played, you know, as well for Kilmarnock as what he's playing for Livingston at the moment, you know, the fans would have been, oh, what a fantastic signing that was. Uh, but unfortunately, sometimes you know, you sign a player who's done well for you at a previous club, and they didn't quite had to offer another club. That's that's just the nature of football. And as a manager, obviously, you get judged on when you're signing. You know, I signed Jamie McDonald there, who went on to do really well. Gary Dicker, uh, you know, I signed him just before I left. And then obviously, you know, big Stuart Finlay, who's who's doing quite well at the minute. So there was players there yeah. that you take to a club, 
Northern Turnwell, and then big jig, Lee McCulloch, he took over after I left, and he brought in, like, say, Jordan Jones and that. So they signed some great players, but I think it's difficult as well. I felt when they put AstroTurf down, it was difficult to attract the calibre of player that you wanted because you'd be amazed at the amount of players that aren't interested in playing on AstroTurf. Yeah, and I know, you know, from Kilmarnock's point of view, it kind of helps them survive. You know, they, they get the... Then you have to pay for their academy teams to play on other pitches. Mm-hmm. They can do everything at Rugby Park. But from a first-team point of view, when you're trying to attract better players, and it's a chance of playing for maybe... And I, I find we were always competing with, like, say, you know, Hibs, ourselves, sometimes Hearts, sometimes, like, St Mirren, teams like that. You're always competing for the same type of player. And, you know, they would always go to a team that was playing on grass, then come to... Kelly, who played on AstroTurf, but that was just that's just the way it was, and I'm pretty sure the current uh, Kelly backroom staff and management team will be finding the same same issues. You know, it is difficult to get players there, but brilliant club, absolutely loved it there, and you know, the fans and that were great. Um, and as a player, absolutely loved it. It was a wee bit difficult when I was as the manager, but you know that's football. You know, everybody's got to like you. Have you finished grilling your manager yet? Or? <laughs> I've been waiting, what, five, six years for that? So. <laughs> Thank <laughs> gosh, there we go. God, I've been waiting for that. God, this, is, <laughs> this is his big moment. Like you see, then obviously you get, you get the, we've sort of jumped to your management, obviously in between that, you went back to Hearts and obviously, um, like you say, it was, it was a better period in time on the pitch, but off the pitch, like you say, trouble just seemed to follow you a wee bit. But let's ignore that <laughs> and we'll go to... Uh, We'll go, to, we'll go to the Scottish Cup. That was not a bad wee time to join the club again. Brilliant. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Rob is great. You know, I was obviously assistant to Paolo and I learned so much under Paolo. You know, it was a different style of management altogether. You know, he's Portuguese and he had a, a lot of different ideas. So I picked up, you know, I picked up a lot working with Paolo for that season. Uh, as I did every manager I worked under, you know, you try and take the best and, you know, you maybe look at one or two things that you maybe didn't enjoy. So you try to take that on board to your own kind of coaching career. Uh, and it was a difficult season, like you said, you know, we, we weren't really getting paid, the players weren't getting paid, so it was difficult to, to keep the atmosphere in the, in the dressing room as positive as you could because, you know, sometimes at the end of the month, the players weren't getting paid, so that was really difficult. That was a test in time. But we managed to get to the cup final that year and then everybody knows what happened in that game. So it was, it was fantastic to top the end of that season off with a cup final that you know I'll never ever be forgotten you know unless Hibs were to beat Hearts handsomely in a cup final again which I can't really see happening you know people are going to talk about that final for many many years to come and one so man will keep talking about that sorry on you go sorry on you go. I was going to say that see kind of linking back to the what we were saying earlier about younger players coming through that Hearts team how did you have to sort of drill in just how big an occasion this was because when you're talking about the cup finals you played in everyone would have known how big it is for for Hearts to win a Scottish Cup but when you've got maybe more foreign players or whatever in an Edinburgh derby in a cup final did you have to sort of hammer home that message? I was that doubt but I kind of did that as soon as a player came to the club you know mm. as soon as a player signed for the Hearts you know and I did the same as a captain and when I played you know they've got to realise what Hearts means to people when I think any captain, any club would probably do the same. But, you know, for me, if, especially if it's a player who's coming from abroad or maybe coming up from England, they need to know, you know, the history of the club, what the club means to people. Because it is different, you know. 
I'm not just saying that because I'm a Hearts man myself, but you know the history of the club, you know, players putting their life on the line to go and fight for their country in the war and all that type of stuff. There's no many clubs can, you know, boast about that that type of history. So it is important that the players knew all about that. And then obviously when you're playing Hibs, you know, you want to win every game. Every game's important when you're a professional player. Um, but obviously the derbies with being a local derby and you know, you get the bragging rights and all that type of stuff. It was massive for me that uh, Hearts won the games because, you know, you've got to walk the streets on a Sunday and a Monday after you've played them. And you want to be able to walk about with people saying, oh, you know, well done. Uh, and obviously you meet a few Hibs fans that you can you know, give them a wee eye smile and that. So it was massive, the games. And obviously that cup final, I felt was importantly, you know, really important that we won that because... The chances of Hearts playing Hibs in the Scottish Cup final again, you know, it might happen. There's no doubt about that. But when you've got Rangers and Celtic every season, the chances of it happening again in, in our lifetime are probably pretty slim. So it was massive that we won it. And, you know, the players on the day were absolutely fantastic to a man and showed the golfing class probably between the two teams over the course of that season. Just before Sean said that, I was actually going to bring it back to Ryan McGowan. Um, obviously, Australian, but obviously big connections uh, to here. Um, Johnny Stewart, obviously big, they're, they're big pals. Uh, I know that yep. myself. I don't know, would you have had Johnny at Hearts? Because Johnny, yeah, Johnny was there. Johnny was there. He was a youth player at Hearts when I was. I went back as a coach, and you know Johnny was a fantastic player, um, and still is. You know, he's one of Bonnerig's main men, um, and played exactly the same. You know, he's very comfortable on the ball. I think he had a great knowledge of the game. is uh, somebody that I kind of watching him, you thought, you know, he'll probably go into coaching one day because, uh, you know, he knows the game inside out. He picks up great positions on the pitch. Uh, he'll probably say himself, maybe just lacked a, a, a couple of yards of pace to maybe go into the Hearts first team. But in terms of playing at a good level, you know, Johnny Johnny was a fantastic player. And obviously, Johnny Brown was there as well. He's at Bonnerig now. Big Mark Weir was a young lad. Uh, so there was a lot of, you know, current uh, connections in the Bonnerig team, you know, that, that started their careers at Hearts and it's uh, great to see. Obviously, I know Big Kerr well. Big Kerr's a big Hearts fan as well um, and no terrific player. Um, so, it was great, great to see all these boys doing well and, you know, they're playing fantastically well for Bonnerig now, you know, being really consistent and I think you can see the benefits that Robbie has with the team. The nucleus of the team are always, always kind of the same at Bonnerig have been for the last four or five years. I think you can see why they're so successful because they keep all their best players and they tend to add you know, one or two players every season that will make them better. And it's for me, it's brilliant to see. Absolutely. And again, I just want to, all I do is bring it back to Ryan McGowan. He'll love that. Uh, so his mother-in-law. So um, <laughs> talking about the Sunday afterwards, after the Scottish Cup, you brought him right back to pretty much your doorstep, didn't you? Did that. Well, to be fair... Uh, the Bonnerig Rose Social Club wasn't big enough or we would have ended up there. Oh, but, uh, big Stan will need to extend that if he wants to have sort of house parties <laughs> and that. But it was, <laughs> it was my mate Gary McQuarrie who, who was behind all of that, you know. But does all my plumbing, can I just add? Does it? Uh, well, it does all mine as well. Um, gets down in my grand shower, I need to get in contact. Uh, it tells me that it keeps Midlothian on its feet, but I'm not so sure about Aye, that. So it stays. <laughs> I think it basically just takes everybody in Midlothian's money off their mind. That's his biggest <laughs> asset. Uh, but, uh, 
great lad, but he was the usual, you know, getting all excited and all that. And this was before the game had even played. And, you know, from my point of view, as the assistant on the day, I'm like, ah, look, this is probably the biggest bit of egg on your face ever. You know, you organise all this and we'll go and we'll no win the game. So I told him, look, didn't organise anything. Um, if we do the business, then obviously I'll meet you and we'll go for a few beers. Of course we will, but uh, I wasn't really wanting any of that. And then sure enough, on the Sunday after the parade, I got the phone call, right, you need to get back to the Woodburn Club, which I, I duly did, and Danny Granger and Gowser, they both accompanied, accompanied me to the night out, and I've never, to this day, I've never seen a night out like it. <laughs> it was genuinely the only time I've ever felt like a pop star. You know, I would go <laughs> uh, surfed into the place, with feet never touched the floor, never put a, put my hand in my pocket all night. Um, you know, we we ended up in a fair mess as well, right enough, but it was just a phenomenal night and a night that kind of just topped off that weekend. Um, I went on holiday, I think, a couple of days after that, but it was oh, it was phenomenal, phenomenal. Just to spend it with all your, all your friends and family and then obviously all the boys that I knew, the Bonnerig, Dal Keith, uh, Dander Hall, Mayfield, they were all there. So it was brilliant to, to spend the night with them because they are people that I'd known for a long, long time and it was great to see them say happy and the fact that you made them happy was, was great for obviously like especially Gowser and Danny because they played but I can sort of hold my hand up and say I take a bit of, a bit of credit for that because the corner we scored the fourth goal for we had actually worked on that all week because we kind of knew that we knew that Griffiths wouldn't wouldn't track Rudy on the edge of the box because I've been there myself you know strikers they always switch off when they're asked to defend the corner and Rudy ran off them Gowser ran round the back and got his customary one yard one yard goal. We've done that a few times that season, so I can take a bit of credit for making Gowser the Hearts legend, to be fair. There you go, too, right. Um like you say, obviously you're you're now back at Hearts again and obviously in a club ambassador sort of role. But as you touched on at the at the top of the show there, you've obviously managed to see Bonnerig a few times through that role. Yep. Um going back slightly, it's more in recent years, the videos of you against Bucky Thistle. Bucky Thistle, <laughs> it is, eh? Aye, was that? Was that a nice night, Aye, honestly. You were caught on camera. <laughs> loved it. It was, it was a brilliant night, and it was a great night for the town, you know. To say, like, when I do something, I'd let, I'd let in any other day, I'm quite passionate about it. And, you know, I've always been a, a fan, like a Hearts fan, a football fan, and a Bonnerick fan. But my dad was the same, you know, when we're playing out in Grange, that's just like Hearts playing Hibs for me, you know, if, if I was a Bonnerig player playing against Grange, you know, you'd be desperate to win, plus my mum comes from Newton Grange, so it's, it's about bragging rights and height and all that. Um, yeah, absolutely, so well. I I've, it, I've had some stick in this role since I, I, since I started <laughs> It was brilliant, so the, the Bucky game, obviously, there was such a big crowd, we could have sold it out probably two or three times over, and, you know, I went, done my, my usual routine, I went up to the Roses Club, um, with my dad and I met good mates of mine, Big Al McLean, Michael Stewart, uh, Peter Stanley, nearly all the lads that go, you know, religiously, they're, for me, they're the, the proper football fan, you know, they follow Bonner, they come away everywhere, uh, and you meet all the locals, you know, all the, all the same faces, and then obviously that night I stood in the same bit that I always stand in, but I was a bit disappointed, because normally in a, a league game I can stand at the the bit at the end of the shed, no problem at all. But that night, you know, there was people standing where we normally stand. So I just put myself Shit. in there. Uh, and obviously it was a great night. You know, it was a fantastic performance live on the TV. 
and uh, you know, I, I loved it. It was a brilliant night. And the, the annoying thing was, I was actually stone cold sober, and everybody that seen me at the game were like, "Oh, you must have had too much to drink." And I was like, "Look, that was just the way I behaved, whether I'm sober or whether I've had seven or eight pints. That's that's me. I'm passionate about one leg. I was delighted to win the game." Then after that, you know, we had a, a great night because the boys had obviously got through to the next round, which was a fantastic achievement. And you see that was Rose on the telly for the first time it happened again this year, obviously. How much sort of uh, enjoyment do you get out of seeing Rose sort of building their exposure throughout the country and sort of just like kicking on? I, I love it. Um, you know, obviously I went to the Hibs game at Tyne Castle a few years ago and, you know, it showed you the potential we born at a selling 5,000 tickets for the game at Tyne Castle and then obviously I was frustrated that I wasn't able to go to the game at Dundee but when you see the performance that the boys put in um, against a, you know, a, a good side I mean Dundee had beat us the week before Bonner had played them so uh, and you look at some of the players Dundee have got you know with Charlie Adam especially you know, world class midfielder and the boys went up and they did, they did themselves proud but they did the town proud as well and that for me can only raise the exposure and the, and the, you know, the name of Bonner grows. And when you look at it, you know, I just hope that we maybe do change things in Scottish football and give the likes of Bonner, Kelty Hearts and that a better opportunity if they do do well in their league that they can come up. Because they'd be a huge asset for, you know, leagues, you know, leagues for the Premier League down to League Two in Scotland. Because when you look at, you know, I look at Bonner and you compare them to you know, other clubs in League Two and League One and Bonnerig with the fan base they've got and the, the way that Charlie runs the, the club, you know, they're as run they run as good as any any of the clubs in the leagues. And, you know, I think they probably bring a lot more to the table as well in terms of supporters and what have you. So it's, it's a huge ambition of mine to see Bonnerig playing in the in the big league. And I think they showed against Dundee that on their day, you know, they couldn't have more than a match for a lot of the teams uh, that are playing in, in, in the division. I'm glad you mentioned that, I, because obviously you've been involved in football for a long time and I think that that's sort of the next big problem facing Scottish football is you see all those fantastic performances in the Lone League. I mean, you mentioned signing Callum Higginbottom to, to Kelly, what, five yeah. years ago and he's now playing, okay, playing in the division as well and he's still at a good age as well. It's not like he's he's past it and yeah. he's still a fantastic player. Um, yeah. And how important do you think it is that this is sort of addressed so you can see, at least give teams like that a chance, eh? Yeah, without a doubt, and I think that's what it comes from, like the top of the Scottish game. You know, I think we've got to have a look at everything. I think obviously we we tried to do that in the summer. I thought it was a perfect opportunity. You know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and it, you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, you you just looked after your own your own self interest because we were bottom of the league and we didn't want to get relegated and what have you." But you know, we tried to look at the bigger picture as a club. You know, we were. We were trying to say, you know, it's, this is the perfect time to look at things and maybe try and change one or two things. Because we, we, we're the same. We feel that there is a clubs like Bonnerig Rose, Kelty Hearts, East Kilbride, they spend a lot of money. Um, you know, they spend good money on wages and that. And I think they're all desperate to get the opportunity to come up into the leagues. Now, for me, I think, what's wrong with that? You know, what's wrong with the clubs showing that kind of ambition? But we've got to give them a, a better opportunity to try and get into the league, you know. They win the league, and then they've still got to play about another six games before they can come <laughs> into League Two. For me, that's scandalous. You know, if you win the league, then you should be promoted. It's as simple as that, because you've been the best team in that league. Because at the minute, you've got the pyramid system where, you know, if Bonner had won the league, 
They've then got to play the best team for the Highlands, and then they've got to play a, a playoff with the bottom of League Two. For me, that's nonsense. You know, you win the league, you deserve to go up. Um, and, you know, there are things that, unfortunately, it's not to me to decide that type of thing. But for me, I definitely feel that there is scope for all these teams in the Lowland League to go into the, the league and, you know, bring a freshness to it. And I think as well, I've, and I've said it, even when I played, and it's not just because of everything that's happened to Hearts, make the leagues bigger. Because, you know, I certainly got fed up playing the same players all the time, playing against the same teams all the time, four times a season, play them in the League Cup, play them in the Scottish Cup, goes to a replay, you could end up playing the same team six, seven times a season. So, for me, you make the leagues bigger, play each other a couple of times, and you'll probably bring a freshness to the league. Because it's almost even more exciting playing in the Lone League. You've got, what, 18 teams in the, 17 teams this season in the Lone League, and you're yeah. only playing each other once, aren't you? And then when you go up to League Two with 10 teams and you're playing each other four times, that makes, yeah, that's another reason that like players would rather be down here, I think. Without a doubt, and I think that's why we lose so many players to to the English league, you know, because one, the, the money down there is a lot better, and you know, a lot of players want to go and try and you know make as much money as possible. It's a short career, and I would certainly never ever blame a player for that. But I think a lot of it is to do with you know players do get a bit fed up playing the same players, playing the same stadiums, the same teams four times a season. As I say, you play them in the cup. There's another fixture where you're playing the same players in the same team. So I think there's definitely scope for us moving forward to have a look at the size of the leagues and and try and bring up, you know, some of the teams like we're talking about. Like as you say, I enjoy watching the Lowland League. There's a lot of quality players in it. And these boys, you know, have no doubt what to test themselves at a higher higher level as well. And, you know, if they've got an easier opportunity to get into the leagues, then, you know, I think it would benefit Scottish football moving forward. Like we've said that obviously from, from our perspective and obviously yours is is then from Hearts. Um one of the biggest things that like we've said and it's talking about recently, obviously Celtic and Rangers in particular have been really pushing for like the Colts sides to be probably just leapfrog right into League Two, obviously again, but that's just another massive reconstruction issue. But as we've said and and um praised Hearts and Hibs especially for this, is the likes of Leo Watson coming out on loan to the Lowland League. You see that a lot more from like the Hearts and Hibs side of things more than obviously the West. Do you think that's um that's again a sort of way forward that we're talking about youth and whatever? Those sort of moves are the good ones. It like say it's a competitive league in the Lowland League, playing top class players, a bigger league, more diverse. Um those are the sort of moves that I think they definitely catch the eye from our perspective. Without a doubt, if you ask like any of the Bonner Glads or Robbie and, and uh, Dave Burrell, the assistant, you know, they want to win every game. Now, for me, when you're playing at Hearts and you're in the under-18 league, where you know, it is a, a kind of league, but you know, it's no, no massively important where you finish and what have you, that's where I think young lads have got to learn their, their competitive edge. Because when you go full-time, and, and like, I'd argue with anybody about this, People say, oh, it's all about enjoying yourself. You only enjoy playing full-time when you win. You know, you ask me right through my career, see the days I got beat on a Saturday, I didn't enjoy my weekend. It was horrendous. So it was all about winning. If you win in the most successful year, the better it is for you personally and the club you're playing for. So when, like, say, Leon and that are getting farmed out to Bonnerig, eh, Daniel Bauer was obviously there last season, you know, they, they learn quite quickly that they've got to win games and 
I think as well, they learn a lot more playing against even lads at that level. You know, they've all maybe played at a good level throughout their career. So they learn a lot more. Can they learn quicker? They've got to be quicker on the ball or they'll get, you know, smashed. They've got to play the ball quicker. They've got to be more switched on because there's points at stake and uh, it's very, very competitive. So for me, I think they learn, you know, they learn an awful lot going on loan to the clubs like Bonnerig and uh, Kelty Hearts, uh, teams like that. Uh, and I think it's great for the young players that we've got, especially because they've got to learn quite quickly about, you know, looking after themselves and obviously having to do things quicker. Uh, and if they didn't do things quicker, you know, they'll get moaned at, they'll get, you know, heavy tackles put in on them, all that type of stuff. It's a great learning curve for them, and I, I would certainly encourage that all the time. You mentioned Robbie there. Would he have been someone you knew growing up at Hearts? I as know well? Robbie well. Robbie yeah, was on the ground. <laughs> He was on the ground staff at Hearts, uh, a fantastic lad, you know, he, he played, I think he, I probably played in the same game, he played, I think he made his debut against Dundee United, if I'm right in saying that, uh, he, played, I think he only played the once, once for the first team, but you know, Robbie was a great, great uh, centre half, you know, quite a quite a cultured centre half, good on the ball and that, and uh, you know, again, he was a great lad, uh, come through the youth at Hearts and went on and done well in his career as well, and he's, he's turning out to be a fantastic manager. Aye, absolutely. I guess sort of just looking forward now, and sort of as, as we wrap this up, how much are you looking forward to, I guess the thing we all are looking forward to, is seeing fans properly back in ground. So how often do you think when you're sat there at, at an empty tin castle about seeing that full again or coming along with pals to New Dundas Park again? Yeah, I can't wait. I genuinely can't wait. Um, because as I said to you earlier, you know, football without the supporters, it's no... No football for me, and you know I think when fans do get back into stadiums, I think they'll maybe realise after the the tough year that we've all had, they'll maybe appreciate you know what they've got. Uh, I think we do we'll do that with everything in life, you know, not just the football, but in family, friends, all that type of stuff. I think you, you realise now just how important uh, we things like that are. Uh, so for me, you know, I can't wait to get back to. To seeing uh, Tynecastle full, I can't wait to get back to New Dundas Park to see Bonnerig playing as well. Hopefully, you know, being really successful. Because uh, at the end of the day, then you know, that's what I enjoy. I've enjoyed it all my life, even when I was at Bradford and I came back up the road. You know, if Bonnerig were playing at home, I would, I would still, you know, rather go and watch Bonnerig than than go and watch any anybody else. So, uh, I'm really looking forward to that, and I'm sure you guys are the same. You know, you'll be missing it. Um, and looking forward to when we can get back to a bit of normality and hopefully that will be soon. Aye, definitely. We'll, we'll hopefully catch you at New Dundas Park soon. And we can no problem. See the boy kick on again. So. Well, that's what we're all hoping for. Uh, you know, all, the boys, all the boys are looking forward to them getting back and I'm sure the players themselves and Robbie, because uh, they were, you know, they were really flying, you know, they were picking up big time, they were hitting a wee bit of momentum there, so it'll be a, a bit of a kick in the teeth that they've so they had to stop the season so far. So hopefully we can carry on where we left off when, when they get back. Right. Well, fingers crossed. And thanks again, Gary, for coming on. We really do appreciate it. No problem, it. guys. If you need anything at all, give me a shout. We will do. Thanks, Gary. All right. Thanks Bye. very much, mate. One of football's good guys there, Gary Locke. We thank him very much for coming on this episode of the Rosie Posey podcast. Don't forget you can subscribe wherever you get yours so the show appears in your feed automatically. You don't have to go scrolling to find it. You can find us on Twitter at Boyne Rose. You can find us on Facebook. It's Boyne Rose Athletic. 
and our YouTube channel is Born Rig Rose TV. Thanks again for listening to this episode and we hope to see you again soon. Cheers.